0: Um, We're in the middle of a series right now, uh, but for any of you who haven't been participating in the previous sessions, uh, it stands on its own. It's a series on the four right efforts, and uh, I'm on the third one this time, which is uh, the cultivation of helpful mental states and thoughts. It's important to think of the right efforts in the context that they're taught which is in the context of the Eightfold Path. The Buddha spoke, the Buddha taught that he said I teach one thing and one thing only. That's suffering and the end of suffering. He gave the Eightfold Path as a systematic way of uh, the way out of suffering. The goal of Buddhist practice is happiness. It's a lasting happiness. Happiness that's not dependent on conditions. It's not dependent on pleasure and pain. It's not dependent on success or failure it's not dependent on what people think about you it's not dependent on any circumstances it's a deep lasting happiness that's why we practice the <clears throat> there are eight steps to the path and the um, The right efforts are the sixth step of the path. The path starts out with um, right view. And that view is the view that what we want in life, what everybody wants in life, is to be happy. And the other part that it teaches is that um, everything we do, every thought we have matters. Every moment conditions the next. If right now you have, um, you know, you've slowed down, you've just meditated, and somebody, you know, comes in and is making a lot of annoying noise, uh, you have a choice at that moment. You can either look at that person and say, oh, they're, oh, I'm irritated, and the willingness to let go of that irritation. And then you just kind of settle in and you're feeling fine again. Or you can just kind of say, oh, this person shouldn't have done that and take off and, into a story and then you don't like that person anymore and they ruined your meditation. And so just that one moment conditions like a whole, it could can, it can ruin your whole day actually, we've done that. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway and um, you, know, you get angry and then it triggers another thought and all these rude people in the world. And, you know, just this world, that just isn't a good place to be in, and, and it can just get you into a really terrible mood. Just over one moment of not paying attention to, to the choice we have. So having the view uh, that we want to be happy and keeping that foremost in our lives is really, is, is really what the right effort is about. What the Buddha taught was that... Excuse me. That what causes or suffering... And when we use the word suffering, the, the Pali word is dukkha. It doesn't mean like necessarily major suffering. It covers the whole range of things we don't want to have in our lives. From a minor annoyance, like it's a little too warm, Um, or you're just a little bit tired to all the major losses in life that we can have. It covers a whole range of experience. And what the Buddha taught was that what causes our suffering is the fact that we want things to be different, that we cling to what we want or we push away what we don't want. And um, there's nothing wrong with wanting something. For instance, you know, if you're hungry, you want to eat. That's a very healthy desire. It's normal to want to eat, eat if you haven't eaten all day. But what makes you suffer is saying, "I got to eat now, and it's going to be and if I don't get what I get to eat right now, I'm going to be unhappy." That's clinging. We've taken a natural desire, which is part of our survival, and we've added this whole emotional entanglement to it that makes us be unhappy or if we don't get what we want. Let's say you were looking forward to this really wonderful dinner somebody's making you and they burnt it, you know. So you get there and you go, well, you know, let's order pizza instead. And you know, there's like disappointment because you were really wanting it to be that way. So clinging is what causes the suffering. Not not what we want, not what we like, what we dislike, but that grabbing after it or pushing it away. The Eightfold Path is a gradual training of our minds to be happy, to be at ease. There are three major aspects to the Eightfold Path. The first part is our attitude, the way we look at life. The second part is how we act. And the third part is the actual training of the mind with mindfulness and meditation and uh, concentration, and the right efforts. Most Westerners um, learn about Buddhist practice through meditation first. And a lot of Westerners never hear of any other aspect of the path. But you know, for those of us who practice every day, we usually only spend one hour a day or less meditating. So what happens the rest of our lives? What do we do with the rest of our lives? How do we take that peacefulness that uh, that we are able to uh, create for that time in our day and make it really affect the rest of our lives? The last two weeks um, Jim uh, covered avoiding unhelpful thoughts and mind states. And Cheryl uh, talked about letting go of unhelpful thoughts that had already arisen. And I'll be talking about cultivating helpful thoughts. And Kim over here next week is going to talk about maintaining helpful thoughts and mental states that have arisen. And one way to look at it is um, effort is effort no matter what you do. You know, whether it's effort to um, go to work in the morning, whether it's effort to run around the block, whether it's uh, just the effort of raising your hand to eat, it's all effort. What differentiates right effort is the effort to be free, the effort to be happy, regardless of conditions. A way of, um, an analogy for right effort, uh, let's say you wanna train for um, a marathon. So the first thing, avoiding. What is it uh, you wanna avoid if you're gonna be training for a marathon? You wanna avoid uh, getting blisters. You wanna avoid getting dehydrated. So you do all the things you wanna, all the things you need to do to avoid uh, anything that gets in the way of your goal. Um, If, uh, for the next one, letting go, what are the things you need to give up to be able to train for a marathon? You know, it's a lot of time. You know, you've got to, you know, at least a couple hours out of your day to train. So what do you have to give up? You might have to give up an extra, an hour of reading, uh, staying up late and partying. I mean, there might be all sorts of things you might need to give up to be able to do it. Uh, you might have to let go of ideas. An idea that you're going to do it at this speed or an idea that, um, that Today, regardless of how you feel, you're gonna train hard, even though you might have a cold. Um, so there's a lot of things you need to give up in the process of any goal. And what do you wanna cultivate? In running, you might, uh, you know, you, you might jog, you might do some sprinting, some stretching. So you cultivate these different qualities. And to sustain or maintain uh, the process, uh, you go every day. You make sure every day you do your routine, whether it's, you know, a little bit more laid-back one day, or really hard another day. So the way that this translates to or um, helpful mental states, um, let me use the example of uh, <clears throat> one of the areas that most of us have problems with is the area of skillful speech. Of being able to communicate peacefully, gently, um, you know, not gossip, be kind, and um, it can be very challenging, especially some of us grew up in environments where uh, gossiping is the way we bonded. Um, you know, that's how you became friends with people, you talked about other people. And uh, so how do we work with that? Um, the first one in terms of avoiding, you might want to avoid hanging out with the people who that's all you do with is gossip. You might, uh, it's not that you want to push people away, but you might want to avoid those conversations. If people are sitting around talking about other people or, or making maybe uh, racial comments or Uh, racist comments or homophobic comments, you know, you don't participate, you walk away. Um, In terms of the second one of letting go, um, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, when I'm paying attention to myself, I've got a really juicy piece of gossip, you know, and I kind of feel the excitement because I know it's really going to be enjoyable to share it. and and just getting in touch with how does that feel you know I really want to share it you know but I have to if I really want to do this if I really want to uh, free myself I need to let go of that and so I allow myself to experience you know this bubbling in me that wanting that it's painful it's painful to really want to say it and then not say it to let it go sometimes I reinforce it by kind of imagining the person I'm talking about being in the room That sometimes, you know, cools it down a little bit. Um, So, the cultivation of right speech. How would you cultivate right right speech? How would you um, develop that? For me, one of the ways is to listen better, to not need to talk so much, to, um, I don't have to say everything that's in my mind. And to maintain, um, like once you start really developing that, so you find yourself a lot of the time, you are speaking better, you're you're withholding the things that you may not want to be saying, um, you create habits in your life that support it. That's one of the ways to maintain it. Um, For instance, one of the things that I like to do when I remember is when the phone rings, I don't answer it right away. I take a deep breath before I answer it. And if I'm really busy and and hectic and the phone's ringing right and left, what I'll do is I'll take that that deep breath and I'll smile. And and try to remember that there's another human being at the other end of the line. That it isn't an interruption at the end of the line, but another person. And just that habit of doing that creates um, really a wonderful sense of well-being. And it creates a lot more connection with people. And some people call, you know, I don't feel even though it might be it might be an interruption to my flow, it's not an interruption in my heart. I think it's really important to remember why you want to train your mind. Um, what Gill sometimes asks us to do is um, to really spend some time contemplating on what is your deepest aspiration in life. What's really important to you? And usually when we connect with that it's some form of, of uh, wanting to be happy. It's some level of that. And there's a lot of different ways of couching it in our minds, a lot of different ways each one of us holds that. Um, But to remember that on a daily basis is probably one of the most effective ways of cultivating the qualities we want to have in our life. One of the things um, uh, that I do every day throughout the day Um, I check in with my body throughout the day. Um, I just, you know, how am I feeling? What's going on? And I ask myself the question, is there dukkha right now? Is there some form of suffering or dissatisfaction right now? Is there something that doesn't feel right? And if the answer is yes, I ask myself the question, what am I clinging to right now? What is it that I'm holding on to? What is it I can let go of right now? For instance, um, um, I was uh, working on a deadline, and um, I was like very tense because you know it was like the time was was running out. I needed to get something done, and um, so I felt like um, I checked in with my body, and my stomach was tight, my chest was a little bit tight, my shoulders were hunched, and so that was pretty obvious. It wasn't subtle at all, and um, So I asked myself the question, what can I let go of right now? What is it I'm holding on to? And so what I was holding on to was the idea that this somehow had to happen. It just had to happen. And I really, you know, I was holding on to that very, very tightly, and that was creating the tension. So when I saw that, I saw, oh, I can let go of having to meet the deadline. I can let go of that and um, and my body relaxed and, you know, doesn't always work. You know, sometimes it just kind of recurs and recurs. But uh, when you stay with it, you know, eventually the mind becomes easier and easier and easier to let go of these clinging states, of these contractions, to have things be a certain way. I still will do what I need to do, if I can, to meet the deadline. But I don't have to give up my well-being for it. I don't have to give up my happiness for it." Gill said, um, "Don't underestimate the power of one moment of mindfulness. Every moment counts. So any moment that you check in with yourself cultivates more mindfulness. It conditions the mind. Just like if we, um, if we're always reading the newspaper and we're reading like just only the negative news, you know, this disaster here, that disaster there, this is happening with the market, and that's all you fill your mind with, you start seeing your life through that filter of, of all the terrible things of the world. But if you start, if you focus on the peacefulness that you can have right at this moment, just with a single breath, just by relaxing, by letting go, it doesn't mean that you block out the world. It just means that you, you focus through the filter of being at ease, of wellness. You don't have to give up your feeling of well-being, they say that 95 percent of the thoughts you had today you had yesterday we're not such original thinkers most of the time and what that means really is that most of what happens in our minds is just a bunch of habits and most of them are like just bad habits kind of biting your fingernails but they're mental habits so a habit is very easy to create. How many of you have ever, like, uh, shopped for a new car? And let's say, you know, you know you want to get a certain kind of Honda. Uh, so within a short period of time, you start spotting them. There, there's one, there's one, there's one. Uh, or, you know, it might be even a certain color one you notice, which you never would have noticed before. And your mind is just becomes very quickly habituated into spotting those cars. So it's the same thing with our mind, how quickly we can train the mind in any direction just by directing it. Saying, I want this, and then the mind just kind of follows. But what have we done with our minds? We've had, you know, you know, between 30 and 80 years of, of practicing in this room probably, of uh, practicing things like... Um, You know, oh, I don't like myself or I'm not good enough or, uh, boy that, you know, people are just not the way they should be. And, you know, all these thoughts or worrying, planning, all these mental habits we have that are just go on and on and on. Um, and, and if you think that every moment counts every time you plan compulsively, every time you do it, you're reinforcing it. So, what we 're looking here is not necessarily stopping those things today. we're looking at how do we create new mind habits that are helpful, and as you create new mind habits, they slowly over time displace some of the older habits. Think about our um, the habits we have uh, or psychological buttons, usually, uh, family are the ones who really somehow they know how to squeeze the, how to press those really perfectly. Uh, all they have to do is look at you the wrong way, just use a certain tone of voice, and you know you just habitually go into this little reaction. You're 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 angry or upset or um, so. Those are just mind habits. You know, we we suffer a lot with them, you know, we create complex relationships out of them, but they really aren't that much different than, um, than Pavlov's dogs. It's like we've been trained to react a certain way. Uh, we may have originally done that because of survival reasons, but at this point, you know, we're not making that choice. It's just kind of a, a, a loop that does it all by itself. One of the things that you may notice when people stop a bad habit, what's considered a bad habit, like smoking, they often um, take up another habit, like drinking, like eating lots of sweets, or um, or drinking tons of coffee. Um, so often, a habit has a certain momentum and a certain energy, and so when you stop something you need to have a way to direct that energy. So if you want to stop gossiping, you know, you've got this bubbly, juicy thing that wants to get out. You know, so, you know, you might resist it, resist it, resist it, but then you're just weak and there it goes, you know. So what do you do with that energy? Um, so that's what the cultivation of, the, of other possibilities is what we want to do. And the little meditation... How many of you had done the loving-kindness meditation before? Okay, so a lot of you. Um, That's a practice that cultivates. That's why we did it. So you you get an experience of how to cultivate this feeling of kindness. Um, It's a place, it's a way to direct your energy into um, a friendliness towards the world, a friendliness towards life, a sense of well-being. The way the practice is done is we first do it towards ourselves. Um, And some people find it hard to do it towards themselves, so they sometimes do it towards their mentors, towards their children, um, towards their dogs. I mean, I knew someone who, they could not have a good wish for anybody, but they could do it for their dog. So it doesn't really matter, whatever's easiest to generate a feeling of, of goodwill, of friendliness. And then slowly we train the mind so that um, we do it towards our friends, our family. And then we expand that to include people uh, who we don't know. You know, we, you, you meet somebody at the store who, it's like, we call it a neutral person. Someone we don't really have, you know, much energy either way on. And so we just kind of have a friendly attitude in the world and in, in the way we live our lives. And then you do the really challenging thing, which is you do it towards the people you really have difficulty with. And um, doing that kind of practice can really change the way you respond to these people in different situations. They call it the enemy. I mean, they don't have to be your enemy. They're often your relatives. Um, (laughs) And, um, yes, you train yourself to, to have an open heart in those situations. In, in cultivating um, helpful mental states, it's really important to start where you are. Um, some people sometimes want to bypass the difficulty they're experiencing and kind of jump into some kind of exalted, great state. But it's very important to really start where you are, to not push away where you are, because we, do not want, we don't want to repress anything that's going on. So, if you're feeling um, uh, a little bit contracted or you're feeling a little bit sad, you know, how does your body feel right now? You know, how do you feel? How does your abdomen feel? Um, how do you feel mentally? And then cultivate, then work on loving kindness, but always check in with where you are. Don't try to push that away. It's important to relate, if you're having um, what's called unwholesome thoughts, let's say you're feeling angry, or you're feeling um, uh, irritated, it's important to how we hold that, to be able to hold those feelings with acceptance, with kindness in ourselves. Uh, We need to have a non-contentious relationship with our uh, so-called negative emotions, with our conflictive emotions. That's what they are. We're human. We have these things happen. Um, we're not perfect. We need to be at peace with our lack of perfection. If we judge that harshly, you can't cultivate anything because you're pushing yourself away already. You're already rejecting yourself. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, jealous of a very good friend's success. You know, it's um, you're happy for them. There's someone you love. But a part of you might still be jealous. And so how do you deal with that? You know, it's you can hold it very lightly to say, oh, that's jealousy. It's okay. That's, that's what I experience. I love my friend. I wish them well, and I'm also jealous. And then you go on. You give yourself the room to have those kind of feelings. Um, There's different methods that can be used for cultivating helpful states. You use some in meditation practice and some in daily life. Um, In meditation, one of the things that I find really helpful is to always do something to set the tone. Uh, some people start with a short reading a poem a phrase Uh, I often start with um, several minutes of living kindness practice Um, you want to have it's helpful to have a transition from the normal things of the world to this quiet time you're going to have and it sets the tone a traditional uh, Buddhist practice sometimes is called taking refuge, where you connect in your heart with, uh, you take refuge in the Buddha, in the, in the stillness of the Buddha, in the expansive heart of the Buddha. You take refuge in the Dharma, in the practice, the practice of freedom. You take refuge in the Sangha, in the community of beings who, who want the same thing that you do. this way you incline your mind into a wholesome state you already know you're going in that direction and if you find yourself even though you've done that you find yourself very restless uh, you know very tense very stressed out you treat your restlessness peacefully you can be peaceful about it you can be peaceful about your misery if you're miserable It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you have wild horses, you want to give them a very large pasture. So you want to do that with a mind that's very chaotic, that's very busy. Um, You don't want to push anything away, you want to give it spaciousness. If you're unhappy, if you're resisting, if you're tired, no matter what's going on, you can hold it with a lot of spaciousness and acceptance, not needing it to be different. There's, there's many ways to practice uh, cultivating skillful states in daily life. Um, but everybody needs to really look at themselves and see what's important to you. What are the qualities that you want to develop? The Buddha has like a lot of lists of, of, of great qualities you might want to develop. Um, one that's often used in meditation are the seven factors of awakening, which is mindfulness, developing um, investigation, energy, joy, calm, concentration, equanimity. Um, you have what are called the Brahma Viharas or divine abodes, which are cultivating loving kindness, compassion. Joy and the happiness of others. Equanimity again. All the lists include equanimity, which is sort of an interesting thing. Or the great Ten Great Perfections, which um, uh, maybe I'll go into in a few minutes, but they're uh, generosity, renunciation, virtue, patience, truthfulness. There's a whole bunch of qualities. Um, so what qualities do you want to cultivate in yourself? At different times we all have different strengths and weaknesses like some people um, like i know people that have incredible resolve they just they say they're going to do something and boy they just do it you know they don't you know they don't have to struggle i had to force myself time after time you know hey, you're going to get up you've got to fight for this da, 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 you know and start and fail start and fail before i created you know before i was able to create some habits i wanted um, so my resolve is much weaker. Um, so there's different qualities that each of us have to uh, cultivate. I know people who've um, they've never gossiped in their life. They grew up in a way that they've just never gossiped. That wasn't me. Uh, so I have to work on that. Um, um, I have a lot of perseverance. I'll keep trying something till I get it done. So um, that's one of my strengths. So you need to, to, to really be able to train your mind, you need to really be honest with yourself, and you need to get to know yourself. Really, what, what qualities do you really need in your life right now? Now you could say all of them, you know, 20 of them, you know, God, I don't have enough compassion, I don't have enough kindness, I definitely don't have enough eponymity, but what's really useful to you right now? And sometimes it's really important to take a little bit of time uh, to actually think about it, to contemplate death. Um, one of the practices that, I, that I've done <clears throat> in my life is um, I've taken a theme. Um, like, for instance, um, I found myself, I was at this place in my life where I had a lot of different projects going on, and all the different projects were, were going to take a long time to resolve. So I had all these things hanging, you know, and I found myself feeling like, well, as soon as this one's over, everything will be okay. You know, that kind of feeling, um, you know, I mean, I remember in school, you know, well, when I graduate or when the semester's over or when this is, you know, when I sit for my boards or, you know, all these, you know, ifs. And um, so I found this quality just kept uh, coming up, this this uh, feeling of, um, you know, things of like, I can't wait till this is over. And So I decided to spend some time focusing on the quality of patience. It's one of the um, uh, Ten perfections and you need patience for anything You need patience to practice mindfulness because you know you you sit and try to be mindful mindful of the breath And you know you've done five breaths and your mind's off somewhere else You know it takes patience to keep coming back to keep coming back um, It takes patience um, if somebody's talking really slow and you're just sitting there listening to them you know so you can either be really annoyed or focus on developing patience and settling in uh, so what I did was I um, I decided to focus on that for like a month of my life so that throughout the day I just kept looking at my life at the things that happened through the filter of patience so that when um uh, when I called and they put me on hold for 15 minutes, I go, oh, okay, let's look at this. You know, this is patience I'm developing. I'm training myself. What what a useful thing to do. And uh, so I started kind of turning things around in terms of using, um, developing that quality. Um, I've also taken a month in focusing on cultivating wise speech. And um, it's really helpful. Uh, and I'm going to do it again and probably again and again because it's a, it's a very, um, each time I work on it, you know, I kind of uh, uh, train a little bit. <laughs> and um, it's, um, it's a process, you know, it's the month in patience, you know, developed it. I'm not completely patient. And, uh, it's just it's a gradual training of the mind. some of the things that um, a lot of us are, is over critical of other people. And that's a very painful state to be when we're critical. When you see somebody and the first thing you go, oh, they're too, they're, they're too loud. They're too this, they're too that, you know. Um, I remember one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, he said that he was, um, uh, he was on a retreat and, um, you know, in our tradition, we do a lot of like long silent retreats where you meditate all day and you don't speak. Uh, but boy, your mind sure can say a lot. And um, he found himself, you know, during when his eyes weren't closed, that he just had one judgment about Anybody who came by, people walking by, you know, oh, they're too this, oh, look at those socks they're wearing, they have a hole, and they're too that, they're too tall, they're too this, and just on and on and on. So what he started doing is he started counting the judgments. So you know, oh, judgment, two, three, and so kind of creating, you know, not, not buying into it so strongly. You know, oh, that's all they are, they're just judgments, they're not reality. When we're overcritical of people, we feel alienated from them. We feel separate from them. It's very very painful to be looking at somebody in the eye and going, well, I don't like this about you, and that's what's really going on inside you. Um, It doesn't allow us to really connect. So one of the things that uh, one of my teachers recommended for that was to uh, start trying to find something you like about that person. But every person, don't meet anybody. Use it as a meditation practice. Every time you meet anyone, find something you like about them, so that your mind. There's a lot of things you t- you take take the person you you may have a lot of energy against. You know, uh, like a political figure is like typically you know when most people have an easy time finding something to dislike, and um, you know you might notice that person loves their kids. There's somebody who loves their kids. It doesn't mean that we still don't say they have really terrible policies and they do a lot of harm, but it means that we don't have to, uh, you know, make them completely 100% wrong. And if we're going to have, you know, anybody who's done mediation in the world, um, you know, knows that they have to find common ground. So where is our common ground with people? What can we like about people? There's always something we can find. and using the filter every time we meet someone of finding something to like about them uh, will really change the way you live in this world. Some of you probably already do that just naturally. Mm-hmm. And if you do if you do that you know you're very fortunate because there's a lot of pain when we don't do that, when we um, are continuously looking at people, looking for what's wrong, or when we're continuously looking at ourselves, looking at what's wrong. Um, An example, a personal example for me, um, um, I've had uh, chronic physical pain since I was a child. And um, when I first started doing meditation practice, uh, you know, I'd be paying attention to, well, you know, what's going on, you know, being mindful of what's going on, and the strongest thing I always found was the physical pain, and so every time I meditated, my focus would be, you know, I'd immediately go to the pain, and it created a very uh, grim mind, especially as I got older and the pain got worse, and... Um, And finally, somebody who really knew how to work with this well, directed me and they said, well, there's other things going on inside you besides the pain. Find something pleasant in your body. Do you have even a quarter inch that's pleasant? And, um, you know, which is what I started to do, you know, and um, I started focusing on on the area around my mouth, this half smile, which felt pleasant to me. And so I just kept focusing there instead. Um, and um, you know and It's not that you that that's what you want to do all the time But it's an option when the mind is in a groove of, of a habit that makes you unhappy it's not working. That's not mindfulness if you're getting un- more and more unhappy You're not doing something right So that's how you always check your effort. Your effort should always bring you more happiness something may be difficult It may be hard sometimes, like if you're in that situation where you want to, you really want to gossip, you know, that's painful, you're restraining yourself, but, but you can feel the happiness that you get when you don't do it, that you feel better about yourself, you feel, you feel, um, better about that, your relationship with the person you're going to talk about, um, that, or, (coughs) um, Or focus um, of where we direct our mind can shift, um, can be switched. For instance, um, another example, uh, let's say you have to wait. Um, most of us have waited like at a say, doctor's office, and um, the chair is really uncomfortable. And um, you can focus on, oh, God, this is really uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's hot and sweaty, and it's too, um, uh, it makes my back slouch, and it makes my back hurt. And you can totally be focused there and spend the entire time you're waiting focused there. Now, that's not mindfulness. You may be noticing something that's going on, but you're sure not noticing a lot of other things. There's a lot of other things going on in that room. There might be some interesting people in the room. Uh, it might be that you might want to um, focus on um, just the, the incredible fact that you're sitting on this chair that took uh, came from products that have been in the earth for thousands of years and uh, that it took hundreds and hundreds of people to bring, to be under you right now at this moment. You might could go in a million different places, but we're in the habit of going to the same place all the time. Same thoughts you had yesterday. If yesterday you, you, you'd complain about the chair, today you'll complain about the chair. So um, So you have other options. You don't have to be stuck with your thoughts, with the same thoughts over and over again. Sometimes if you're really stuck, like let's say you have to make a difficult decision and every time you think about it, you know, your heart speeds up, your stomach contracts, and you just get very stressed out and you're just stuck in a cycle. What sometimes works is to um, think about what quality is useful right now for you. And the quality that I might want to use is the quality of equanimity. What is equanimity equanimity is being okay with whatever happens so i put aside the problem for a moment and i really try to imagine what does equanimity feel like what what is the sense how does that feel and then i bring my problem up again and uh, and the issue again it doesn't mean that i'm going to try to um, force those feelings out but i'm giving myself another option another i'm inclining my mind in a different direction and um it's a little bit like um you know i don't know if you've ever learned how to play the piano for instance when you first play the piano and you try it's torturous getting those notes right you know just getting you know c d e you know it's like it's very very difficult you're not very successful and it seems to take a lot of work but the more you do it the easier it is to get there and the more enjoyable it is until you're doing so much in such a little bit of time and it feels effortless and that's what right effort is like you take this this difficult decision you incline your mind towards equanimity you just put that in front of you oh yeah this is how i want to respond I want to have this open, even-handedness, the spaciousness around my decision. You don't negate what's happening. You say, this is how it is right now. This is the direction I'm going in. And it's like planting a seed. Every time you plant it, it's like you're watering it. And eventually it grows. Don't worry about how quickly it grows. Uh, It may take a long time. But it's amazing just by doing that on a regular basis, it it, uh, eventually change occurs. And those 95% of thoughts are di- a different 95% of thoughts. One of the things that a lot of us in this very fast-moving culture is we find ourselves frequently just tense and worried. Uh, one of the easiest things to do to create a wholesome state, to create a help- helpful state is to go to the body. Uh, When you're tense and worried, I guarantee you something in the body is contracted. So by going to the body, relaxing the abdomen, I do a very quick check. I check my abdomen first, because that's usually what tightens first for me. Uh, Check the shoulders, check my face. Um, (coughs) Some people, you know, make fists. Uh, So check the body, take a couple of deep breaths. Uh, That's a very helpful way to deal with with recurring worry and tension. It's really important to realize that any time you're not happy that there's something you can do Um, sometimes it involves cultivating a helpful state sometimes it involves letting something go they both have their drawbacks Um, some people are really good at leaving themselves alone at letting go of things people who do that sometimes can get very complacent Um, they they let a lot of things just slide and they don't um, uh, they don't really create effective change in their lives when they need it people who are too um, who are always like trying to be better and always trying to be perfect they're too controlling so you need to have a balance between those there's times to let go there's times to cultivate and it's an art uh, we want to keep our energy balance. Uh One of the ways to really look at our mental states, um, which really works, which is important in meditation, is to uh, look at our mental states as whether we, we need to be aroused our energy or we need to calm ourselves. For instance, if you tend to be um, in meditation, if you tend to be sleepy a lot, It really helps to sit up really straight, to not lean against your chair, um, to hold your own back up. Because if if you get sleepy, uh, that little bit of extra effort you put to holding yourself up can really wake you up. Sometimes going for a brisk walk really helps. Um, If you have a personality that tends to be kind of sluggish and lazy, you um, you might want to pay really careful attention to your posture. Um, you know, if you're kind of like leaning back like this at home and like, you know, your typical couch potato, um, it definitely doesn't cause energy to arrive. Um, <laughs> just by sitting up and uh, looking alert, you become alert. Uh, same thing if you're the kind of per- personality who's like always like kind of shaking and, um, and restless and, um, and just always has to do something. Uh, what are the things that calm you? Uh, in meditation, um, a couple of the things that, uh, that I use for restlessness is um, counting breaths sometimes. If my mind is so chaotic, it just won't settle down. I just go back to counting breaths. Uh, Sometimes people uh, listen to sounds. You make your mind really spacious, and all you do is just listen to sounds. I don't know how many of you have done that. It's a really wonderful meditation. You just let the sounds come and go, whatever sounds arise. And that gives your mind a lot of space. And it calms you. So so does staying on the breath, staying with a very tight focus on the breath. Um, Taking deep breaths can calm you. Uh, Sometimes going around the block, exercise. Sometimes if you've got way too much energy, sometimes you just need some exercise. That's very helpful. Um, Personally, one of the most helpful things in my practice has been working with right effort. Um, One of the issues I've had throughout my life was I used to have these very intense, heavy moods wasn't like any major depression but I'd have moods that would last for really long periods and where I'd be kind of sad or melancholy or for long periods and um, I was on a long retreat where um, one of these moods came up and um, so I decided to be mindful of it so first I recognized you know okay so I'm I'm really uh, kind of sad here um, you know, and I inclined my mind towards happiness. Uh, you know, I didn't do anything, <laughs> you know, I just uh, stayed unhappy and and I just kept kind of, you know, encouraging my mind to go in that way and but as I kept doing that what I noticed was that I wanted to stay sad. I did not want to give it up. And so as I kept just hanging out with that with that knowledge What I realized was that I thought, I believed that that sad person was really me. That, you know, whenever I had uh, like strong feelings come up, like I'd have, um, you know, say anger comes up, you know, I'd see it arise and I'd see it go away. Yeah, that's not me. You know, um, irritation, that's not me. Um, all the different emotions that come and go were really easy to see that that they're just emotions. But when a state kind of hangs out for a whole day, for days, you know, it's it's a lot hard to see that it's just a mind state, that it really is something that comes and goes. And um, when I realized that, I finally really got that that mental state was not who I was, that it was just a state that comes and goes, then I was willing to let it go. Because it's not like I was trying to get rid of myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, you know, it, it really changed my life. It um, it was a very, very important thing because it's, it's uh, it let me realize that I could be happy. It really gave me the, the real knowledge that uh, that I can actually make myself happy. Um, I'd like to end with uh, a quote many of you have heard that it's one of my favorite quotes from the Dhammapada and it sort of uh, summarizes um, the importance of right effort all experience is preceded by mind led by mind made by mind speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experiences preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind. And happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. Thank you. And we've got a few, a few minutes if you have any questions. I'll feel free to go too if you want to. Yes. Um. Thanks, Marie. Um, I recently became aware that um, fear is playing a role in my life. Um, The fear is what? It's playing a role in my life. It's preventing me from taking a particular action that I want to take. And I'm wondering um, what kind of positive antidote you see to fear? Fear. um, I'm not so sure with fear that we want to have an antidote. Uh, Fear is really... um, a form of aversion, fear is trying to push away something we don't want to experience that hasn't happened yet. Um, it's one of the very deep roots uh, that cause our suffering. Um, the thing to do with fear is to not act from that. Is to, as we practice, we want to allow ourselves to experience our fear. We want to allow ourselves to experience these emotions, the negative emotions, but we want to cultivate uh, our actions, these actions that don't come from there. Um, if the fear is interfering uh, very strongly with something that you have to do, like let's say you're, um, uh, you're going to do public speaking, you know, and you're terrified of public speaking, okay, that's not the time to meditate on your fear, so you do want to use a remedy. And one of the remedies is loving-kindness practice. Because you get yourself into a very calm, peaceful state. Um, but it's important not to ignore fear. You know, fear can teach us a lot. Um, so, you know, I'd have to know more, you know, more specifically what, what you're really working with to see how, you know, it's, it's such a major, uh, a major thing that runs our lives. Any other questions Yes Wait, wait for the mic. Nobody can hear you. <laughs> You're way out there
1: oh well, i was I think some people when they um oh you know when they encounter like a different attitudes than their own, you know. Like if they, um, if they're like a real a person who's maybe real rigid and real set in their ways and think, but they often will always have some self righteousness about it. And then if you're a person who's not like that, like if you have to work for them, you see, a lot of times you always have to deal with the fact that they have this big idea that they're really right and and that they're in the superior mindset even though I would often observe I thought they were really in a terrible mindset personally but then I have to the dilemma is and you're stuck having to do things their way cuz maybe they're paying you or something like that so that's one of the things that this kind of thing brings up for me <laughs> so it's a quandary because then you don't know, well, if you should try to offer them some other viewpoints than the one they're having. And maybe you have to try to do that to some degree. So that's just wondering what your thoughts were about that kind of thing.
0: Well, to be able to um, be at peace in that situation what's really needed. That person most likely isn't going to change
1: right that's true
0: (laughs) so so to be against that you know to say they shouldn't be that way and to take any energy saying they shouldn't be that way is just gonna cause you pain
1: yeah I guess that's true
0: so so for me what I do is I look at and I say I don't like this behavior this person does that's true it's true for me I don't like it Um, I I do wish they were different um, but what's there about this person that I can connect with
1: yeah I think yeah that is true and I think that's kind of what I always end up doing and, and then sort of uh, don't fall into the trap of trying to give them some big pep talk to be a different way yeah I think you're right about that yeah, yeah I great. mean it yeah.
0: doesn't work to try to change people it just no. doesn't work no matter how, how much we try it just doesn't work
1: Right that's a ver- if we could just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot.
0: Okay well it's time so thank you very much